This podcast is brought to you by Slickmaster. His friends na hinatak na lang niya out of nowhere at pwinersang mag-guest. And no one. Kasi wala kami mga sponsors. Baka naman, di ba? Okay, so we probably talked too much about friends that we ended up doing a part 2 episode of it. And of course, joining me here are Veronica Marcus Litton of Manila Wrestling Federation, Aimee of The Aging Millennial, and Ivan of Dugout Philippines. Well, let's get this shit started. Oh, by the way, you're listening to These Drunken Midnights. On the first episode, we talk about uh, like how toxic Ross and Rachel is, uh, how pervert Joey Tribbiani is. How about how Chandler being being some sort of naive? Oh, that's a interesting topic. I wouldn't say naive, but oh, sorry, sorry. definitely something. <laughs> I stand corrected, man. I, I mean, it's not naive, pala, pero he's like ano kasi minsan yung sarcasm niya ginagamit nagagamit like uh, doesn't click well or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just me or what. Medyo yung pagka some sort of like quote-unquote immature niya sa paghandle ng adult relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think emotionally stunted. That's how What? I would like to describe Chandler. Emotionally stunted. Oh, there he goes. Okay, go ahead. I'll leave the floor to you. No, no, no. Because, okay, it's like if I had to like say who my favorite character in Friends is, it's probably going to be Chandler Bing. But oh, also at the time, because I think every... There is a little bit of Chandler in everyone. Chandler is awkward. <laughs> He has so many obvious defense mechanisms that prevent him from actually, from from actually having something. But what's for me, what's nice about what's nice about Chandler, and this goes for Rachel, is that Chandler and Rachel are the characters who probably grow the most over the course of Friends. Uh huh. Yes. With like when you first meet Chandler, he's an awkward dipshit who uses humor and sarcasm as a defense mechanism. Like yeah. his yeah. his lack of masculine traits, they play up as a joke when there's really nothing to laugh at. There, he's he is 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 just how he is. He goes through he has intimacy issues that plague him until he comes until he hooks up with Monica. And with Monica, he grows that by the by season 10, if I had to say, if I had to pick out who was the most mature from the bunch, it was probably Chandler. Because by that point, Chandler was kind of keeping everyone in line. He yeah. was just emotionally stunted up until he hooked up with Monica. Yeah, I think I can tell. I, can, I have to agree with you. Because I know. I think because when he had when he figured himself into a relationship with Monica, yun nga, he he grew he grew as a person. Yes. And, parang of all the boys, though I think though I think the kabandin ng major character development leap si Joey Tribbiani from being some sort of pervert into like being a nice guy at some at some point. But the thing is, Chandler was like the most consistent among the bunch of them. Chandler and Rachel. Yeah, there you go. For all of Rachel's hang-ups like throughout the show, mm-hmm. you by, by season 7, season 8, you start to see Rachel mature. 
And she started out as the most immature character in the show. Yeah. And I wish I could say the same for Ross, but too bad. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay. This okay, this just popped out on my mind because he said that Mon Chandler and uh, Rachel were the two characters who blo- bloomed the most. Yeah. In the series, but why is Matt? Why is Jennifer Aniston? Why is Jennifer Aniston the superstar now? And why Matthew Perry isn't? That's a good. I think Jen is- had more projects to begin with, and she was in more rom coms, which is a big sell. Like. Mm. Even people who aren't into rom-coms end up watching it because they're trying to go on a date with someone or whatever. So yeah. she has more exposure than all the other main characters, honestly. So, mm. like, even if she doesn't have her own TV show, she has the most movies and the most watchable movies. Even the bad ones are watchable, honestly. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And I believe Matthew Perry's, Matthew Perry's career went what went light low post friends i have i never heard i only heard a few coming after friends so uh, no, no, he has no. a bunch of shows yeah. Yeah. Here. dude you should watch 17 again sorry and, uh, 17 what? 17 again you should watch it i think he's uh, there what yeah. right. what's that show on bbc with matthew perry where sorry with um matt leblanc where he plays an Middle aged, an older Matt LeBlanc. Um, wow, that's crazy. Uh, shit, what's that title? I know that. I've seen that. Fuck. Can I, I Google that. a little bit? Go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're, you're all free to do so. <laughs> <laughs> I am in front of my computer, so. Uh, it's, it's fine yeah. because I'm just here in front of my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Matt LeBlanc had this um, had this show that we basically just played Matt LeBlanc, and I've seen a couple um, of episodes, and it's it's good. And they I can't they even find had it. Like... Um, 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 shit. Oh my god, it's one word. What oh. so word? Wait, before we, while we while we were researching that, uh, we mentioned earlier about. Uh, about uh, the character development of uh, Matthew Perry's role. Yeah. Why did, did Matthew Perry had, didn't have his own spin-off show and why Joey happened instead? Well, I think, I think that the answer to that is that the arcs of all the characters at the end of Friends are pretty much close because mm-hmm. yeah. Monica and Chandler, they get married and they move uh, into the country. Uh, mm-hmm. Ross and Rachel get back together. Phoebe marries Mike. So the only character with an op- with who was open for the writers and the producers to have a spin-off show was Joey. And yeah. across the board, everyone just genuinely loved Joey. Yeah. Like I think if you if you found because I know there were people back then who were like, oh, I like the guy characters more than I like the girl characters, or I like the girl characters more than the guy characters. The yeah. character of Joey was usually the one that united people. Yeah. The, Interesting. But the, where Joey failed as a show is that the writers stuck to gags and they never tried to grow the character at all. Like, um, so if you look at like the realm of like um, TV shows, a lot of our mm-hmm. favorite shows are all spin offs or they're all connected to each other one way or another. 
Like, yeah. I would say the best sitcom of the 90s is probably Frasier. Because mm-hmm. every time I watch Frasier, Frasier makes me laugh. And the premise of Frasier is that it follows a, a psychiatrist, this, like, really hoity-toity psychiatrist named Dr. Frasier Crane. And he hosts a radio program in his hometown of Seattle. He has a brother who's just as hoity-toity as he is. And his, <laughs> and his um, dad is, like, this blue-collar former police officer. So there's a lot of... Like subtle political and classist jokes in Frasier because it's basically about these two hoity toity guys trying to be hoity toity and failing all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the thing about Frasier is that Frasier itself was a spin off because the character of Frasier came from another show called Cheers. And Cheers was the friends of the 1980s. Cheers ran from 1982 up until 1992 and that was that was the big sitcom of the 1980s it was cheers and cheers is basically about a but about a bunch of drunks who go to a bar every day the the entire show just focuses in a bar and frazier was just one of the side characters in cheers up until the later seasons when he became a main player for some reason they decided to do a spin-off in Frasier. But what was nice about Frasier is that you see the character grow. You see the character evolve as a person. Whereas in Joey, the character does not grow at all. And if you're used to, if you've been watching the same guy play the same character over and over again for years, it's going to get stale. And it just revealed that the character of Joey, for all his lovability and his creepiness, is a very one-dimensional character. I could say the same thing about Barney Stinson. Barney Stinson, for all the cool stuff that he does, and Barney Stinson has a lot of heart, mm-hmm. Barney Stinson, in essence, is also a very one-dimensional character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Cheers, as, as far as I remember, that's where Lisa Kudrow once starred as an episode. For an episode. Yeah. In 1989. I think oh. she even played Ursula on... She played Ursula in, in Cheers. And then in Mad About You, which they used to show also, also here. Yeah, she was also Ursula in Mad About You. Damn. Does that mean Scrubs, Frasier, Friends, Mad, and Mad About You were interconnected? They have, a, they have the same... Well, same storyline. Yeah. They're, 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 they're the same universe. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. yeah kind of. So the way it works is that you have Ursula in Friends, and um, as Amy said, uh, pointed out, she was the um, she was the waitress in Mad About You. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah. char- the characters in Mad About You actually pop into Friends in season two. Yeah, <laughs> I remember yeah. that. Yeah. The, yeah. Because that's like Joey's fantasizing at some point. <laughs> I'm gonna call it right. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So, so the characters. So it's already established that the characters in Mad About You inhabit the same universe as the characters in Friends. If you watch Mad About You, which is a great sitcom, by the way, it's one of the most underrated sitcoms ever. I love that show, uh, and it's funnier than Friends. And the the characters are great. 
Um, but in Mad About You, it's established in one in the later seasons that the character of Paul Reiser, uh, one of the main characters in Mad About You, used to be the next door neighbor of Kramer from Seinfeld. So the apartment that Jerry Seinfeld lives in, in the show Seinfeld, in canon, used to be the apartment of Paul from Mad About You. Yeah. So, so all it's... those shows are connected in this weird NBC universe. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Good thing you point about that, Veronica, because I've been thinking about the same thing. Like, wait, is this NBC sitcom universe? <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so in the U.S., it's actually part of their TV culture to have crossovers. So yeah. it's it's a thing. Like, they may or may not be in the same universe, but because they are usually on the same network, it's a promotional thing. Like, I've seen the weirdest crossovers ever. Like, um, well, it's obvious, like, Supergirl and The Flash are in the same universe, but there are shows yeah, like New Girl and um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like... That was ridiculous. And then um, Sleepy Hollow was a show and it crossed over, had a crossover rather with a show called Bones. And it's just, mm-hmm. there. it's a thing. So like we may or may not theorize that Friends is in the same universe as all these other shows, but it's yeah. mostly promotional, so. Oh. I guess can I just ask a bit on the government? Because you mentioned earlier that you find Frasier as a number one comedy show of the 90s, right? Where do you rank Mad About You? Where, do you, where would you rank Seinfeld? Where would you rank Friends then? Uh, if I had to like really list it, and it's not fair actually, it's not fair because if I had to pick my top two sitcoms from the 90s, it would have to be Frasier and it, the Drew Carey show. And I don't think a lot of people here, unless you had a uh, star, yeah. I don't know if a lot of people <laughs> to catch the Drew Carey show. But the Drew Carey show was one of the, the most ridiculous and one of the funniest sitcoms of the 90s. It's so funny. And what, what's so amazing about the Drew Carey show is that it's so progressive. And they didn't treat any any kind of lifestyle as an oddity or as an oddball. They, it, it was just a fact of life to these characters. So the Drew Carey show, it revolves around, it, it's basically a fictionalized version of the life of comedian Drew Carey. He lives in um, Cleveland, Ohio, with uh, this girl he's had a crush on since he was in high school and his two drunken friends. And he works in a really shitty job with a really... I don't even know how to describe his boss, but his boss is basically like the sitcom equivalent of uh, of an evil villain. Actually, he does have an evil uh, an evil villain in, in the Drew Carey show. But the Drew Carey show is so funny, and it's so the storylines the Drew Carey show are incredibly progressive for what they are. They don't like if they talk about certain issues, they don't make fun of it, but they just highlight the how ridiculous certain aspects of it are. Like, there's this one episode where, um, and they also did a bunch of zany shit too. Like, there's this one episode where Drew ends up having to marry his British boss, and his British boss is an asshole. He's like an evil, he's like basically an evil villain in a sitcom mm-hmm. form. 
and they end up having to get married in Vermont. And they do that episode at a time when seeing two men get married on TV was still a weird thing. And when they played up yeah. the relationship, they didn't really treat the homosexual aspects of it as a punchline. They, they played around with it like they were a bickering old married couple. So for the, for the writing, the consistency, and the progressive themes, it would have to go to the Drew Carey show. When it comes to su- superb writing that's just funny all across the board, it goes to Frasier. So I would, if I had to rank it, I'd have to rank um, Friends probably number five or number six. Yeah. It, it's... Uh, the reason I probably watch Friends the most is by access is by availability. Friends has always yeah. been very easy to access. Whereas with Frasier or the Drew Carey show, if you want to watch it today, you have to do a little digging to watch it. I think it's not in Netflix. Yeah. Well, I think. Uh, how can I say this? I I think I have to agree with you know. I have to agree, agree with Veronica. I mean, there are more sh- beautiful shows out there aside from Friends in the nineties. It actually sucks because. Only a few number of them were available for streaming for for what you know, um, and too bad I, I haven't even using torrent much. <laughs> <laughs> when I try, but I but hey, at least um, we I I think we got some interesting options here to check on while, you know, while while I'm at it. Like, '90s sitcom. Like when we look back at it, again, it's easy to think about Friends because Friends was. Friends came at the right time, at the right place, at the right time. It had <laughs> characters that, despite all their bullshit, was easily likable. But people also do tend to forget about all the other, other sitcoms that popped up in the nineties. Like yeah. another one I like. It's kind of controversial now, um, yeah. because of who's attached to it. But back in the nineties, Roseanne was another good. Um, sitcom and they played with a lot of heavy issues in Roseanne I mean the new Roseanne you know it, it's it's kind of messed up because you know it turns out that Roseanne Barr is a Trump supporter and all that stuff mm-hmm. that was a good one another good one was Murphy Brown Murphy Brown is hilarious it's one of the best sitcoms ever but people tend to forget Murphy Brown Murphy Brown is about um, a news reporter who basically runs like the six o'clock news and it's basically about a woman in charge uh, trying to establish herself in a very male-oriented environment. But the characters are great. The writing is funny. Uh, another one people tend to forget about, actually, that was on at the same time as Friends is Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually, oh, yeah. I actually like Will and Grace. Grace. I actually like that show. Will and Grace, well, even up to now, still funny. Sorry. Yeah, I mean... You know what's actually fun? What's actually one good thing about Will and Grace is that you can tell that there is a signature direction that James Burroughs did on all of those episodes when you compare it to some of those James Burroughs ep- directed episodes at Friends. Shoot, I, I there's that. Yeah, I mean, ito. I think the first few episodes Casino Friends from seasons one to seasons th- to season three were actually directed by James Burroughs. But but then but then when I watch Will and Grace, there are certain like there are certain scenes and probably treatment overall that actually reminds me that 
hey, this is actually the way James treated this show. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I should look this up because I've never paid attention to the directors of these shows. But yeah. um, to kind of ring it back to Friends, I'll ask everyone a question. When do you think yeah. Friends jumped the shark? What do you mean, jump the shark? <laughs> yeah. Like, when, when do you think Friends had a particular moment that basically signaled the decline in the quality of the story? So the term jump the shark, it comes from a sitcom from the 70s called, the Hap- called Happy Days, which was basically the 70s version of that 70s show. So Happy Days was about a... It was about a bunch of teenagers in the 1950s. Um, and it was on in the 70s. Um, and in Happy Days, the popular character there was the Fonz, very much like Joey. He was this like Italian A kind of guy, but he was a biker. He was a greaser. Uh, so a lot of people say that the time Happy Days stopped being funny or stopped being good was this yeah. episode when they um, they put up this big pool with a shark on it, and Fonzie mm-hmm. jumped over the sh- over the shark infested pool on his motorcycle. To a lot of people, that's when um, the, the the quality of the writing of Happy Days began to decline. So it's a term used for shows where a certain Ooh. event happens, and the writing just starts to go downhill. The, any, oh. Does anyone think that Friends had a moment where they jumped the shark? Uh, I think there is, actually, but I... Hmm. Let me guess. Uh, <laughs> I guess, judging it from a fan, fan's point of view, like me, um, I, let's say the Ross... Ay, sorry, Ross. Rachel's and Joey's relationship. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I agree. I was going to say the same thing. I agree also on that. Why why do you guys think that the whole Joey Rachel was a mistake? Uh oh. go ahead. Go ahead, Ivy, sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Um personally I don't think there was enough romantic chemistry and like it feels like the story was forced. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I love the characters individually, I didn't think they were a couple. So yeah, I mean, they tried to like they tried to enforce like this some sort of plot twist, but the problem now is, I don't know, it didn't click me. You know, when I watched the end of season ten, episode one, when when Rachel when Ross caught Rachel and Joey kissing, sure, it's like a woo, yeah, it's awesome, and it's a shocking factor. But when you think about like, why? <laughs> I mean, like, what the hell? Why you force this some sort of love in this storyline? I thought we were gonna fix it, Ross and Rachel for crying out loud. So weird. It is like do you guys think like they did it as a way to like increase viewership because by that point they had basically written all the stories they could possibly can with these characters? Well Yeah, it's it's it can be a factor because considering this, France at that time was running for for its 10th season. And of course, some would say, hey, this could run for another two more seasons or probably three more seasons. But the reality is, you just can force that one if the if the storylines doesn't click on it, on its point of view, I guess. 
Wait, did I make sense? <laughs> yeah, you do. Okay, yeah. Go, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I can't blame you. I can't blame you for that since they just tried. They just tried to pull in this uh, Joey racial storyline in season. Then that's the, the final season eventually. Yeah, I believe because yeah, they've already did. They already did. So it's just this. Uh, I agree. It's now some sort of a filler because we already was we have already seen enough from the first nine seasons. So someone NBC is trying to. To introduce us to, to life without friends, so that's why they're just doing his fillers episode, like putting us a, a short story then about about Joey and Rachel together. So the thing with that, the thing with that is that well, it's kind of weird to see them together for these what a few episodes because they they don't have they don't have any plot plot to, plot to think about aside from that. They just have to fill it in. I think the hardest part is. It was a late, drastic approach, as I must say, because, because, because as I because me and Amy might agree on this that on Veronica's question that this might be like NBC or even Warner Brothers uh, approach in trying to get more viewers as the show goes on or probably hopes on its final stretch, but I, I don't know, man. I it it just didn't it just didn't click. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree with you guys. It's like, for for, for me, look at looking at it, because like, again, like at that time, the like NBC uh, uh, during the '90s, NBC's whole thing was must see TV. The, yeah. the so Friends, Frasier, Mad About You, Seinfeld, they yeah. all were within this two-hour stretch of programming called must see TV. I think yeah. it was Thursday, must see TV Thursdays. So you have Seinfeld gone by 1998, and Seinfeld was the number one show for for NBC. With Seinfeld gone, it became Friends, and mm-hmm. by that point, they didn't really have anything to fill in for Mussy TV. They tried a few shows. I think they even tried a show with that girl Mona. Mm. Okay. The girl Mona. They actually tried to do a show with her. I think. The reason they had put her on Friends was just to see how she'd fare up if she got a chance to do her own, to do her own show. But it just did. It just didn't really hold up. So I, I, I think one of the things that people also forget was how crucial Friends was for NBC during that must-see TV um, lineup that kind of died when Friends went off the air for the first time. I think it's safe to say because Friends was actually the biggest selling point of NBC at that time. I mean, they score advertisements and and I'll post in an episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Lauren, Nestle. And as far as I know, here's the thing. I mean, come to think of the production expenses made by the show during that time. I mean, imagine this: all six character, all six actors and actresses of that time. Do actually have their own personal chef. I don't know if it's that's true, but they just to think of it like they were eating, they were taking their eating breaks way different from the usual. Like they don't actually join the co-stars; they have their own personal chef with them, or something. Or sometimes, like they they got they really got their some sort of a a list treatment. Like they could actually fly to other places if they want to buy their own sort of private jets. Yeah. The reason that is is actually because of David Schwimmer because 
David Swimmer during the first couple seasons of Friends, he was like the highest paid actor. And then when, you know, he found out that everyone else wasn't getting paid the same amount of money, they all, ba- they, they, I think they nearly went on strike. They nearly all went on strike together until the, the six of them were paid the equal amount of money. Um, yes. So, I mean, there's actually cool solidarity there between the cast members. Yeah. Like, now that I'm thinking about it, um, for everyone here, what are your thoughts on Gunther? He, he I'm also, such... also kind of weird. Do you think he would have been able to become part of the six or part of the friends at any given point in time? Do you think there was ever any opening for Gunther to have a nice redeeming arc of his own? I actually wish. Why not? I mean, he deserved to be part of it. I mean, kahit na sabihin mo na he's less exposed or probably he appeared in less few, like he appeared in less in lesser number of episodes, but of all the of all the some sort of let's say semi regular characters in the show, sino yung mas madalas na nag-appear the most? It's actually Gunther. It's Gunther. And yeah. and it's it's interesting too because now whenever they do friends publicity for the last 20 years ever since the show went off the air, the person who the, yeah, like the person they use the most now is like Gunther. So yeah. Gunther actually, in a roundabout way, the only person keeping friends alive. Mismo. Exactly. I mean, I remember, I think the Rembrandts did uh, some sort of rendition of their of their title song in the Central Park, and it's like acoustic. And who's yeah. was there in the present? It's James Michael Styler. Wait, did I yes. get his name right? There you go. Yes. I'm like... like I'm not- and like he for he still it's like he's portrayed the character in the same way na parang he's still waiting for Rachel to come. Like for crying out loud, it's twenty-five fucking years. <laughs> yes, I remember that. That was the the promotional video for That's the right. Netflix broadcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, I feel actually feel bad because J- because he was supposed to be there. I mean at least the top most recurring character. Or probably... Yeah, it, it, yeah, no. Go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> so to, and to think about it, James Michael Tyler is just about the same age as, as Lisa Kudrow. He's just about uh, one year, just one year older than Lisa Kudrow. So that means... So assuming, because we all know in America, they try to, they try to cast kind of older guys for younger people. For example... At that time, uh, Lisa Kudu was 31 when she got the role for Friends. Mm-hmm. So there's a, possi- there's a possibility, and the, the work, and the fact that they're they're cast as mid 20s to to early 30s people. So there's a possibility that Tyler would have been part of the big six. He would have been the seventh guy. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, Saka- I mean, go, sorry, go on. Saka, here's the thing. You know why Gunter's role was so pivotal to friends? Because he was the Ro- he was Ross's biggest foil to Rachel. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Actually he was. It's, 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 it's not Paulo. Paulo. So, sorry to cut you up. It's not Paulo. It's not even Tad <laughs> for crying out loud. It's actually Gunter. 
The neighbor, yeah. it's it's like your neighborhood kapitbahay na may crush sa and you, and yet you don't even make pansin for him for so long. And we go ahead. Oh god. Like remember good with matching with matching ato with Kanye like remember good Kanye who got like remember good. Hey, cut it out. It's actually really sad when you think about it because it, like you you see moments where the friends actually invite him to parties, but but yeah. he's just like just there just to fill in space. So I sort yeah. of feel like on a level like Gunther always had the opportunity to be one with the friends, but he was just yeah. so awkward around them that he didn't know how to insert himself into the group. Yeah. You know when you think about it, parang mas awkward pa nga yung ano eh, mas awkward pa nga yung treatment sa kanya kaysa kay Tom Selleck. Yeah, no. It's like that's a, that's a, that's another good one like with Richard because Richard is a great character. Yeah. Like, Richard and Monica are a great couple together, but like the moment they face Richard out, they kind of treated Richard as a bit of a joke. Which is a shame because the char- Richard is probably one of the best characters in Friends. Mm, I can tell. It's it, it's it's an absolute absolute shame. Like who like, although you know, looking at it, they do have like this whole tendency to sort of shit on mm-hmm. characters. Like they, it's like they purposely shit on all the side characters. They constantly shit on on the, the, on Carol uh, on Carol and Susan. Yeah. They I think they even shit on Ben. Eh? Yeah, they, they they shot on Ben. They shot on Emily. They shot on Richard. They shot on Gunther. And Janice was basically a punching bag for the writers. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, those are a chuckle. <laughs> yeah, it's so sad because if you actually think about those characters, the characters are actually very endearing. Janice is endearing. Richard is endearing. For all his awkwardness around them, Gunther's endearing because he was the perfect foil to Ross. Like we forgot to mention, the reason Rachel even finds out about Ross cheating on her in the first place was because of Gunther. Exactly. I mean, little by little, there are already seeds planted that Gunther is actually been groomed in this kind of sorts of a role. Like, I kind of feel like if like. Let's say they had like, like let's say like we did friends fan fiction and let's say you have season Ross and Rachel were ta- were pretty tangled up but let's say around season four when mm-hmm. Rachel's trying to get herself into Bloomingdale she get, she get, she's working in Bloomingdale's and whatnot yeah let's say you had a, a plot where as it turns out Gunther was saving up all this money to buy Central Perk. From from whoever owns it, because you never see the owner of Central Perk. You see him a couple of times in the early seasons, but that's basically it. It would have been so cool if they actually made Gunther the owner of Central Perk. And he actually, over time, becomes more invested in the friend's life. I think if they had positioned Gunther that way, where over the course of like maybe three seasons, you know, he becomes a much more authoritative person in the show... I think Rachel and Gunther could have happened, and it could have been like the less cautionary version of Ross and Rachel. But then again, if Gunther's whole motivation—wow, I'm thinking about this a lot—if Gunther's whole motivation was just to 
make give himself a better life just to just to be with Rachel, then that's also kind of creepy. I think it's I think signing your potential when you think about it because yeah, he could have he could have had the chance to be some sort of authoritative guy, especially when Gunter was actually Joey's boss during his time during the latter's time with Central Perk as a waiter. Right, that's right. He was Joey's boss. Like. Like he could have, he could have had the authority to fire to fire that guy because he always called him a lot of times. If if you remember the the season six seventeenth episode, because on the on the scene before the cre- before the opening billboard, he's called Joey for like that man's been waiting for his car for like two hours and he's still complain he's complaining about you for like three times. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot that. Yeah, and actually, yeah, I actually remember that because that's. Because actually, the one with Unagi was actually my second favorite, second top favorite episode. <laughs> so that's a spoiler alert for anyone, anyone readers out there. <laughs> no, it's the same. It's, it's the same. I mean, is it here? Because we should at this point, we should actually tell each other what our favorite episodes of Friends is. Oh, why not? Why not? I mean, okay, now we get that off the bat. Why not we? Why Why not we tell them anyway? <laughs> How about you? You let you lead the way, Veronica. I, I haven't told mine. <laughs> um, my favorite episode, and again, it's also another missed opportunity here because the writer, the writers got so fucking lazy. The one with Chandler in a box, because it's such a. So okay, so in the premise of Chandler in a box, what happens is in season four, Joey has this girlfriend named Kathy, and Kathy's actually pretty cool, and um. As it turns out that uh, Chandler is falling in love with Kathy and Kathy is secretly falling in, the, in love with Chandler because they're more compatible with each other. Like, yeah. and, and, and you, see, you, you see it as they, as they build up the relationship. Chandler and Kathy are really better suited for each other. So Joey's dating two girls at the same time. He gets stuck on a date. It's just Chandler and Kathy hanging out. So what... Kathy gives uh, Chandler a haircut and they have a moment and they end up kissing and Chandler feels really bad about this and an extra backstory is that at this point in the show um, someone had robbed Chandler and Joey's apartment so they have no furniture there and and a lot of that was actually Joey's fault because it's Joey Um, (laughs) so what happens is I'm Chandler buys basically spends all his money to fix up the apartment to give them back their old to buy them back their old furniture technically, and he basically tells Joey, "Hey, here's what happened. I have I'm in love with Kathy." And Joey's like, "Oh, you know what? I broke up with her, but I think there might be another guy." And Chandler is like, "Here's the thing: the other guy is me." So Joey gets really pissed off about it. And I think he kind of overreacts because he was dating two girls at the same time. But for him, it's a betrayal because uh, Chandler sort of went behind his back. But that's neither here nor there. So um, when they were robbed, they were robbed because Joey in season three, Joey makes this ridiculously big entertainment center. And when Chandler Mm -hmm. forces him to sell it. Joey gets trapped inside the entertainment center while someone steals everything in their apartment. Yeah. So, um, though, though the the problem about it is Joey's retort was he was making a sale. 
But anyway, exactly. go ahead. <laughs> he was making a sale. Like he was he was trying to make a sale. So Joey's whole thing was like, you know, when I was inside when I was trapped inside the entertainment center, I, I felt so bad because I felt like I had let you down. So hmm. they basically come up with this thing that it's Thanksgiving and Chandler has to stay inside a box for all of Thanksgiving to think about what he did to Joey. Yeah. So that's basically the whole premise of the episode. At the end of the episode, uh, Kathy comes in. She sees Chandler inside the box. She says goodbye. Joey feels bad about what he did. He lets Chandler out. Kathy and, jo- uh, and, and Chandler get into a relationship, which is another missed opportunity because it shows that even though the writers knew exactly where they wanted to go with that story arc, they didn't know how to continue the story arc. So instead they broke Chandler and Kathy apart. And I think that's on the episode, like, episode, ah, season four, episode 13, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, somewhere there. Yeah, because that was the time when Kathy was apparently hooked up with another guy in theater, <laughs> quote-unquote in theater, where allegedly they have no chemistry, so parang... They tried to make this some sort of speculations and theories that if you have no chemistry on stage, that means you're good in bed together off stage. Yeah. Though that's actually some sounds bizarre when I actually first watch it. Like really? Yeah. But then again it's Joe it's Joey's theory. <laughs> and Joey's theory could always go wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, like there's like a ninety percent chance of like Joey's theory being a, a total dud. So <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, Joey ends up, uh, he basically tells, uh, he basically, was it, was this again? So yeah, he tells Chandler cause Chandler's like, oh my God, I can't believe I saw Kathy up there acting like mm-hmm. that. So Joey's like, no, look here, if they have no, th- here's the, here's the theory. If they have no chemistry, they're probably doing it. So he goes yeah. to another show. He accuses Ch- Kathy of cheating on him, and he just storms off. And then when he tries yeah. to make things up with Kathy, it's revealed that, that it. Harry, yeah, Kathy cheats on him, which is such, which is a, such a weak way to end that arc. Yeah, it sounds bullshit if you ask me. Yeah, I think that's where I get angry. That's another thing where I get angry with friends because they set you up with all these side characters. Who have a lot of great potential. All these side characters have incredible potential. Kathy, Emily. Like the only one that they really did it well with was Richard. I think that maybe is because Richard is a guy. Um but they set up they set up all these side characters and they end up fucking those side characters over just for a bunch of laughs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually sad, isn't it? because I mean they could make. I mean they they could raise the ratings a bit, a bit higher in that way, <laughs> but they just didn't. And it wasn't like they were losing viewers. In fact, more than anything, they were gaining viewers. Because I think Friends was one of the first sitcoms that really targeted the home video market. So people mm-hmm. always had a chance to watch Friends over and catch up on Friends. Yes. Uh, like so, so that by the time like they see the, the newest episodes, they're easily caught up because they could always rent the old episodes and and fill in all the blanks. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think Kathy was a missed opportunity. 
The only, like, I think for me, the only saving grace in Friends, honest to God, is Chandler and Monica. Yes! I mean, I can tell because there were some sort of, like, the realest couple in the room. No, actually, the thing about Chandler and Monica, you don't start, the, the story just started with just, what, the simple what, pretend pretend game that, yeah, Chandler and Monica are fighting to each other. The producers saw the potential in it. All of a sudden, they tried to they tried to put a storyline specifically for Chandler and Monica to be together, and mm-hmm. it changed the game. It was one of them. They became the sec. They became the. They became another reason why to watch Friends. Then, yeah. aside from the last yeah. generation storyline. I mean, ito eh. Go ahead, go ahead, Veronica. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you go. Okay, okay. I think the problem, kasi, is. I think initially in their early seasons they were grooming Ross and Rachel as the like the premier couple of all of the six. But the problem is somewhere along the way uh I think uh Chandler and Monica made their way under the radar and made it big to the top big time. Yes. And yeah. And it's actually sad because you know, you could have treated Ross and Rachel the same way but no, it didn't happen. You mean you made Ross roll a joke, and at the same time, it at the same time that red, that left Rachel in the in the brink of like, how could she stand alone alongside with other characters in terms of in terms of what you call character development? Yeah, I I I am in a complete agreement with that because again, so many amazing things could could have been easily done could have been easily done there and. The kind of like nurturing relationship people wanted initially from Ross and Rachel, they got out of uh, Monica and Chandler. But it's yeah. actually nice because when you watch like the earlier seasons back, there are yeah. moments in which Chandler and Monica, you just see them snuggling for no apparent reason. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there are already seeds planted along the way. Like, I remember when. Carol, wait, is it Carol or Susan who got, who got the uh, pregnant? Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm quite lost in confusion. Sorry, I, I mean it's Carol. It's Carol who got pregnant. There you go. There you go. It's Carol. Then um, I remember there was there was a one scene there and Monica bl- Monica blurts suddenly bursts out, "I want a baby," and like and Chandler was like, "Mm-hmm." Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's right. And you know she she's basically like oh because like. Chandler was like, oh, maybe in like, if we're both 40 and we're both single, maybe we can get together. And Monica's yeah. like, oh, why, why can't it happen now? Like, what's wrong with me? Another <laughs> pivotal moment there is that you remember that episode where Chandler and Monica, you know, the boys and the girls switched apartments because of the... Oh, yes. That's actually a great episode. I, I, I forgot. Yes. About that. The one with the uterus. Yeah, in embryos. Actually, I, I stand corrected. That's the one with the embryos. Sorry. Like going back to what we were talking about with Amy a while ago. That's actually why season four is great, because season four has so many consistently memorable episodes. Season exactly. six has, season six and season eight have funny episodes. There are funny yeah. episodes there for sure, but yeah. season. Four is so consistent when it comes to delivering really good episodes. And a highlight, yeah, it, it's where they have the the, the game. The if um, if the girls win the game, 
Joey and Chandler have to get rid of the chicken and the duck. If yeah. Chandler and Joey win, they get to keep the chicken and the duck, but they get to get they get the apartment. The apartment. And yeah. there's one scene there when Joey calls dibs on Monica's room, and you see Chandler <laughs> visibly upset that he got Monica's room. I I remember he he mouths the word damn because he's because he got he just lost in the shotgun rules game. Right? <laughs> yeah, because I remember that because when when the moment when Joey and Chandler enter their foosball team foosball game game board there, Joey instantly blurted out, "I call Monica's room." Why? Standard shotgun rules. When you're in the yes. room, when you're in the room, you get you gotta call them like. Damn! <laughs> oh, oh my, my god, gosh. how much friends have you watched? Those are I, the lines. I, Those are the exact lines of dialogue from that episode. I think I remember watching that episode alone for like almost 10 times. Oh, okay. oh my goodness, now you know. <laughs> it's a, yes. so in, fair, in fairness, it's a really funny episode. It's such a yes. funny... It, it's such a consistently funny episode from top to bottom. Everything about that episode works so well. Like, I just, honest to God, it, it's hard for me to watch season four. That's one of my favorite. Again, we, as we all agreed, that's our favorite season of Friends unanimously. It's so hard to watch it because it is so consistently good. But yeah. you have the shittiest ending ever. Yes. <laughs> Like who? Like in what universe would you actually say a random girl's name instead of the ones you're marrying with? Like for yeah, so, Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Okay, so to, to fill you in on what happened, so season four is the season with Emily, and I notice a lot of friends online in the fan groups they tend to hate Emily. I personally think the Emily hate is very very misplaced. So. Yeah. It's incredibly misplaced. So what happens is uh, Rachel gets a new position in in uh, Bloomingdale's because her boss at the time, Joanna, died while crossing the street. And Rachel was in line for a new promotion. That promotion never happens. And instead, uh, Rachel is assigned to a new position in the company. So... In the new position that she's in, which is basic, she, which is basically, she gets the, she get, she's, she's a personal shopper. So for hoity-toity rich people who need help shopping for clothes, she's the one who shows them what to buy. Um, her boss in that division is a British guy. So her, she, she wants to quit, but then right before she quits, there's this guy, um, Joshua. Who comes yeah. in and starts visiting her every day to buy new clothes because he got divorced from his wife and his wife set all his clothes on fire. And I'd like <laughs> to think that there's probably a good reason why she set all his clothes on fire. He probably did something really stupid to make her do that, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Mm. You, know what's well, so- you know what's actually funny about Joshua at that time when it's the way that Ro- Rachel's Crushness goes because Josh. Josh. Yeah. Yeah, not to be mistaken that some guy who cries Uwa in the wrestling ring, but anyway, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, a different, different. that's a different show. 
know what? The thing is, is that if you actually want to sum up Rachel in season four, that's basically it. Josh Shua. Everything yeah. she does, everything that happens is because of her really... It, it's all based around her infatuation towards Joshua. Yeah. So, wow, we're actually recapping this season now. So, what happens is uh, Joshua invites her out to this nightclub that he's opening. But at the same time, uh, Rachel promised her British boss that he would that she would take his niece out on a uh, out to the opera. So she yeah. tries to weasel her way out of it. And eventually, she gets Ross to take her to the opera instead. That's when you meet Emily for the first time. And because it's raining and she's British and mm-hmm. she's not used to New York, Emily is in a bad mood. But mm-hmm. like the, the, the morning after, it's revealed that Ross and Emily are in Vermont in another state. And they're in a bed and breakfast and they're having a lot of fun with each other. And Rachel is livid. Like season four, actually, if season two brought out the toxicity in Ross, season four is where you see the toxicity in Rachel. And yeah. their toxicity is equally destructive. There's no one that's more destructive than the other. It's both equally destructive all around. So mm-hmm. over the course of season four, you see Emily and Ross fall in love with each other. And some of the best mm-hmm. moments in that season are between Emily and Ross. So mm. it's also really expensive now that you think about it because she'd basically fly from New York to London every week just to be with him for the weekend. So it, it kind of makes you wonder what kind of job she had or what kind, what her family background was that she could actually afford to do this. Yeah. And actually, I actually remember... Um, hey, speaking of Joshua, I think... Um, you know what's actually funny? Because... Joshua, who was played by Tate Donovan. Yeah, Tate Donovan was apparently Jennifer Aniston's engagement partner. That's right. And you know who else Joshua was at that time? Who? He was Hercules. Joshua? He was Hercules in Disney's Hercules. And <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yes. Remember, remember. That whole came out around the time Hercules was uh, was coming was was about to release in theater, so Tate Donovan was having a bit of a moment. Yeah. Uh, and I believe Lisa Kudrow had a role as well in the Hercules animation series as Aphrodite, yeah. right? Yes. I did not know that. I have to look that up. Uh, yeah. But that's so cool. So um. Anyway, what happens is um, Ross and Ra- uh, Ross is happily is happy with Emily. Rachel is very unsuccessful with Josh. Even yeah, when yeah. they do wind up together, she just fucks it up at every turn. And in all fairness, Josh also has a bunch of really irredeemable quirks, mm. which doesn't really get explored, and it's too much to get into right now. So. Mm. Season four basically wraps up with Ross and Emily getting engaged because he wants Emily to stay in his life forever. So he proposes yeah. to Emily. So they all fly off to London to uh, they ca- uh, Ross, Monica, Chandler, and Joey fly off to London for the wedding. 
He invites Rachel, but Rachel doesn't want to go because she had just broken up with Joshua and she feels really weird over the whole thing with Ross. And also Phoebe's pregnant and someone has to watch over her. So as they're away and Rachel's ranting about Ross, she realizes that she's still in love with him. So at the last minute, she decides to fly off to London with the sole intention of ruining Ross's wedding. And it also mm. leads to one of my favorite moments in Friends because you have Rachel talking to this guy in the plane who doesn't care about what's going, what the whole situation with Ross is. And she's sitting right next to House. <laughs> yes, I remember this. <laughs> Then midway through, you, like uh, towards the end of the conversation, you see House like throw down his earphones in utter frustration. He just like tells Rachel off. He just like really goes off on Rachel. And considering what a shit Rachel was in this season, she kind of had it coming. So <laughs> she gets to London maybe an hour before the wedding. And Ross is happily is happy. Emily's happy. Everyone's happy. And even for Ross and Emily, there was a lot of struggle to get to the wedding, which I won't get into because that's neither here nor there right now. Yeah. So At first, you think Rachel's going to tell Ross, oh, I'm still in love with you. Please dump Emily on your wedding day. But Rachel does the right thing, and she's like, congratulations. I'm here for you as a friend. Yeah, she she still showed some, some sort of support. Yeah. And yeah. Ross being the dumb shit. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Jerry. At the end of the wedding, he tells... Um, He, he basically say, says Rachel's name instead of Emily's name. Yes. And that's for Cliffhanger. And it's so fucking annoying each time I watch it. So much so that I can't even be in the same room when that scene yeah. is playing. And just like that, like a typical season cliffhanger, we're done for this episode. Thank you for listening, but I stand corrected on this line from Joey and Gunther. Joey. Yeah? What I tell you about talking to your friends while you're working? Uh, do it? <laughs> That guy's been waiting for his coffee for 10 minutes. He's complained about you three times. Well, yeah, basically because I said earlier it's two hours and in fact it's 10 minutes, so there you go. I stand corrected on that. And all that being said, again, thanks for listening. Do follow us on Mixcloud.com slash Slickmaster or also on Anchor, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. Just search for These Drunken Midnights. And on that note, we bid you goodbye. Peace out there. This has been a podcast titled These Drunken Midnights. A presentation by the Sleekmasters Files, copyright 2020.